0: Well, aloha and hello from Maui, Hawaii. It's Michael Benner with this week's The Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. This is a webinar, a class that we do every Sunday in the, uh, I'm going to say Sunday afternoon, but it really depends on where you are. It's still uh, just a few minutes after 10 in the morning here in Maui. It's uh, 1 o'clock in the West Coast of the U.S., 4 o'clock in the East, and evening in much of Europe. And we do have listeners in Europe. Actually, we have listeners all over the world. It's very cool to look at the statistics as we gather them. And, of course, we don't know who you are, but we can see the countries of origin when people hit the website with the stats that are gathered. And it's very cool. And so let me, in that sense, just say right here at the top of the class how much we value all of your efforts to forward these programs to other people, to uh, forward the uh, newsletter that you receive by email, you can do that with a link at the very bottom of the page. That That's an easy way to do it. You could, of course, uh, uh, swipe the newsletter and hit copy and then paste that into an email, but it's just a whole lot easier if you know that there is a link in the bottom of every newsletter, all the way down to the very bottom, that allows you to forward to your friends, that really means a lot. And if you're interested in this kind of personal development and spiritual development information, it's likely that you have friends and family members and other associates that are looking for the same kind of personal empowerment information, and to share that information benefits everybody. So I really want to encourage you to do that. Forward the newsletter. Um, You can forward links to the webinar, and um, there's a variety of ways that you can do that. Come to the webinar page and swipe that URL. Uh, We also have a blog of the newsletter at focuspassion.blogspot.com. If you get a chance to visit that, you'll see all of the past newsletters are archived. Again, the W's.focusedpassion.blogspot.com. And, of course, in that newsletter archive are the links to each of the replays of past programs, and uh, other links are embedded to both of our websites, Focused Passion and theagelesswisdom.com, as well as links to Twitter and Facebook and our uh, cool little uh, video on YouTube and, again, anything you can do to help your friends find out that these programs are available for free um, anytime, 24-7, that you feel like listening. And uh, goodness, we have now, i uh, trying to think, must be 65 or 70 of these webinars, all free, all available at Focused Passion. Um, I'm sorry, the webinars are actually available at the sister site, my site, theagelesswisdom.com. Just remember the T-H-E, the W's dot theagelesswisdom.com. And you can listen to a past program um, and forward those to your friends too. Um, Seems obvious to a lot of people uh, who do it all the time. And yet there's many people I know who never even think, uh, to share what they care about and forward, so a little, a uh, little appeal up front here today to do that it really helps out. How else are people going to know? Um, you know, we we're not in a position where we can buy billboards alongside the freeways, and we can't buy radio advertising and and um, the TV time, newspaper, magazine, all of that's out of the question. So we rely on word of mouth and. Fortunately, we've got the internet, email, and all of these cool um, computer-based forms of communication, instant message, and and, uh, all manner of ways of promoting what we care about, what we think is important in the world. So your support in that regard is greatly appreciated. Okay, so thanks very much for that. Also want to remind you that this, series is though free uh the bandwidth is paid for by our sister site where you have an opportunity to make a contribution of just 99 cents a week less than four dollars a month in fact four months out of the year it's uh, you get five programs for three dollars and 96 cents so uh that's we think that's a pretty good deal and uh Again, if you feel that you've benefited in any way from the webinars at The Ageless Wisdom and you want to support us in what we're doing and get some very cool premium audio programs, too, these uh, shows that Steve and I do, Finding Yourself in Paradise, are, in terms of fidelity alone, uh, better quality. Um, The nature of the webinar is I have to use a telephone, so I'm speaking to you via telephone And it sounds like it. The premium audio programs that Steve and I generate at FocusedPassion.com, we record and then replay. So we're able to post a higher quality file using studio microphones. and The difference is clear once you listen. So if you have a mind to support us in any way, if you think you can afford $4 a month, I've actually had some very prosperous people say that's out of the question. Uh, okay, <laughs> that's why we have all the free stuff too. But if you can dig around and find 99 cents a week to support our efforts to, uh, you know, spread the word. Personal, the de- personal development and spiritual development is about empowerment and and responsibility. It's about freedom, really, and and liberty and about abandoning blame one of our main themes today so uh, if you can help us pay for some bandwidth then that keeps us ad free and um, that's what we're looking for i don't know about you but i really am turned off by websites that are covered with all kinds of ads um, flashing at you and uh, distracting you and we're going to do everything that we can to continue to be free from any kind of advertisement. And you can, excuse me, you can help us in that regard by being a contributor, a supporter, a subscriber at our sister site, focusedpassion.com. So check that out when you have a chance, okay? Both sites, of course, have the Send One to a Friend gadget, which uh, is free in both cases. As a subscriber at FocusedPassion.com, you can send unlimited programs to an unlimited number of people as often as you want for absolutely no charge. And that's true here as well. If you go to the Ageless Wisdom under web teleconference, you'll see the same gadget um, stuck right in the middle of the archive, listed with all of the past programs, is a really cool built-in gadget that will allow you to send the whole program, a link to the program, um, to a particular program, I guess is what I'm trying to say, to somebody that you think is really going to benefit from it. So just like forwarding the newsletter, it's all built in and easy to do. And Wow, we really, really uh, appreciate that. So... Aside from being here and being a listener and benefiting from the information, the next best thing for you to do is share that information and we'll never charge you for that. Okay, that's all free. Well, <clears throat> today we're going to talk about hatred. This is a, uh, a subject that I hesitate to even bring up because on the surface it sounds so negative. Um, I think... Many people might say right at the top, well, why in the world would I want to listen to a program about hatred? Um, Well, to learn, I would say, first of all, to be sensitive to hatred, to the way hatred is used as a weapon against you, the way hatred tends to promote um, more hatred, as like attracts like. And before you know it, people who are not inclined to hate anybody can end up hating people who promote hatred. So what's difficult about the topic is just how convoluted it is, seems to me, that the nature of hatred is so destructive um, and so, well, that is the word. I was going to say non-life-affirming, but that's, I'm repeating myself. It's just destructive. That even when you hate the hater, you're participating in a way of living that destroys you even more than the person that you hate. So we need to create a sensitivity to hatred and learn not to tolerate Hatred, even if our hatred seems as if it's uh, as if it can be rationalized based on some twisted idea that I'm only hating people that hate now, one of the reasons I decided to do this program this week is the the angst, the anxiety, the negativity. Um, <laughs> the fear and the hatred that is being expressed in the media, uh, largely as racism, but with some sort of political cover around the nomination of uh, this um, Sonia Sotomayor for the U.S. Supreme Court. <clears throat> I'm rather stunned by it. I think it's clear that Obama's vacation is over. Uh, Rush Limbaugh, who is one of the masters of hatred, um, whether he really hates in his heart or whether it's a show for ratings, um, he does like to brag about his $400 million uh, contract. I don't think many of us would be willing to do what he does for any amount of money. I would like to think that I could not be tempted or bribed. To be so vitriolic for any amount of money, to to spread so much hatred, but <clears throat> he's used this nomination of uh, of this woman to the U.S. Supreme Court as an opportunity to say blatantly that the Obama administration hates white people. Now, on the surface, you might just laugh that off, but You have to remember that uh, there is uh, a core element in America, 15, 20% of Americans that I'm afraid are not very well educated, uh, that uh, are born out of a tradition that really honors racism, uh, and that is very prone to racism. Um, I have no idea what percentage of hatred in America is rooted in race, but currently, a lot of it, and, you know, I've been in media for 40 years, my whole life, since I was a teenager, since I was 18 years old, Um, I've I've done radio broadcasting, 1968, uh, well, 66, I started campus radio, but by 1968, I was in commercial radio, and working my way through college as a commercial broadcaster, so that's over 40 years. I, I don't think I've ever seen as much hatred um, and use of hatred as, a, as a, a type of fear as I'm witnessing now. and It's most distressing to me, especially when I see my friends in the middle and on the left um, who are understandably offended by race hate, um, gender hate, and all forms of hatred, hating back and feeling either victimized or somewhat even justified by hating those who hate. And people that I care about and that I really admire and respect, watching this hatred on television and listening to it on the radio, reading it in the print media, and saying things like, I hate that. Well, what is this about? Why is hatred so powerful? And why is it so contagious that our first response to hatred is to hate the hater? And then to feel that our brand of hatred is somewhat more refined because... We only hate those who hate. We don't hate people that don't hate. We only hate people that hate. Well, that's like saying, is it not like saying, I believe in nonviolence, so I'm only violent when people are violent toward me, and then you call that self-defense. Um, well, let's follow that up for a second. Uh, there are many definitions of what constitutes pacifism, but most of them suggest that you can defend yourself. Um, The pacifist might, I mean, there is a group of hardcore pacifists that would at least ideally argue that they would not even defend themselves if attacked, that a real pacifist would not even fight to stay alive. The most they might do is run if they were attacked, and uh, uh, become a victim of, of violence, but not fight back. There are others that would say, "Well, I'm a pacifist, but I would certainly defend myself." And yet, at what point does self-defense become a counterattack? This is a lot like hating people that hate. I think many people that that would call themselves pacifists or like to identify themselves as being nonviolent, if attacked, would not only defend themselves, but then would counterattack. Uh, there are many forms of martial arts that teach self-defense followed by a counterattack. So that if you free yourself, let's say you're a complete victim and somebody attacked you, and you fight to defend yourself, Well, it seems to me as soon as you're free, you turn and run. You don't counterattack. To counterattack, if the aggressor loses his balance, let's say, and falls back on the ground, and you turn and stomp on their head or their throat or something or hit them while they're down, well, that's a counterattack. That's not fighting to defend yourself, is it? I mean, I know people could argue, oh, yeah, I'm defending myself. No, you're (laughs) – That's a counterattack, all right? So I, I guess personally I find myself in the middle ground. I mean, I like to think of myself as a pacifist, but gosh, there's no guarantee of how I would behave. But ideally I would think that I would certainly try to defend myself or somebody that I loved in in a situation where we were being violently attacked. But as soon as we're free, we would turn and run. To counter-attack is not self-defense. So what's my allegory? To, to justify hatred by saying, well, I only hate people that hate me, or I only hate those who hate others, uh, to me is similar. It's still a bizarre rationalization for the contagious nature <clears throat> of hatred and fear the contagious nature of hatred and fear and I think it's worth mentioning so that we can create within ourselves as conscious conscientious women and men who aspire to be better to seek our ultimate potential and to refine what I would call the divinity in each of us to become more christ-like to become more buddha-like to become carriers uh, of love and light to learn even to be the spiritual warrior that wields love and light not as a weapon but as an instrument of enlightenment of peace of harmony of justice um, of honesty, of fairness, and the qualities that most people aspire to. Again, to say, to reveal, to admit that hatred is so contagious that we could rationalize it or justify it by saying, well, I only hate people that hate me. Uh, is something that I think we need to to take a look at. Bottom line, let me just jump to the chase here. I think the best way to understand hatred, whether it is initiated or whether it is your response to facing hatred, the contagious nature that we've been discussing, is simply as a another face or facet of fear. That's really what it is. In the newsletter that I sent out this week, I always try to put quotable quotes in the newsletter. I think they're fun and and enlightening. And I quoted Eric Hoffer, who said you know, something about how fascinating it is that we really do love our neighbor as ourselves. You know, the funny thing about the golden rule, I've always thought, is The emphasis on the first part, presuming that you love yourself, you're going to love your neighbor. And and whatever you think of as the way you'd like to be treated, that's the way you're going to treat other people. But the second half, you know, love your neighbor as thyself. Uh, Really, to be understood fully, you need to take a look at the fact that many human beings, And perhaps to some extent, all human beings can at times hate themselves and become self-loathing and even self-destructive. I watched a uh, film last night about uh, a couple who lost their son tragically in a crime. And the mother began smoking cigarettes right off the bat. Um, having suffered through the death of her son in this tragic way. And <clears throat> I think a lot of people would look at that and say, well, she's just dealing with her anxiety and her grief by smoking cigarettes because, you know, cigarettes can have in the short term that that hesitate to say benefit but uh, create the result of suppressing the central nervous system and, and actually depression and sadness can be temporarily alleviated by uh, by the, the the chemistry of of tobacco. Of course, there's a rebound effect in that that comes right back. But if you think about it, <clears throat> it's more than that. It's self-destructive behavior. Uh, just like people that drive too fast, rarely are people that drive fast and recklessly aware of the fact that they're unconsciously trying to kill themselves that that reckless behavior is born out of a self-loathing, a self-hatred that they don't really recognize. And so people that hate, as Eric Hoffer is pointing out, are loving their neighbors as they love themselves. And I think this is probably the most important point that I can make today about the nature of hatred and how to spot it in your life, how to identify it, and what higher brain function can we use to manage our hatred? Uh, not to repress it, but to release it, okay? And to really understand that it is rooted in fear. And so, uh, my argument is in order for somebody to hate and to make a career out of hatred, like so many on the far right, and Arguably, there are people on the left that hate, but generally I don't see the left and right in politics as being conservative and liberal. Uh, it is in many ways, but in other ways, it's a, it's a progressive spectrum where uh, the farther to the left that you are, the more you believe in growth and change, and the farther to the right, what does conservative mean? You want things not to change. Uh, The anti-science posture of people on the right, for example, they're terrified. So in many ways, left and right is about fear and the absence of fear. About hatred and the absence of hatred. To understand that hatred is born out of fear. And much of what poses as conservative philosophy on the right is, is not conservative at all. It's just a fear of change, it's a fear of growth, it's a fear of what does it mean that the earth is not the center of the universe and the sun does not revolve around it, You know, the, the Catholic Church for several hundred years ignored the evidence, refused to look through Galileo's telescope, did not want to know the truth. And we have a lot of that today on the right. People don't want to know the truth about stem cells. They want to believe that these are little tiny babies. Well, at some point, a a zygote becomes an embryo, and an embryo a fetus, and a fetus a baby, but those are not little babies. If you want to believe life begins at conception, fine. But you have to leave room for the fact that many people don't see Two cells, four cells, six or eight cells, or a single cell used for stem cell research and such, as being a human child, any more than, um, you know, the church's position on birth control, uh, like that Monty Python song about every sperm is sacred. We can't have birth control because uh, why? Sperms are sacred. Sperms are babies now, and they. You know, they only have half the chromosomes. They have no potential to be life. They're clearly not little babies, and yet the sperm is sacred. And so we, we I mean, what is, what, are we, what is this really about? It's a fear of knowledge. It's a fear of understanding, a fear of science, a fear of being responsible for what we are learning about ourselves. And so we go back to what? The fundamentalist wants to go back to the written word of God, which, if you examine it, even the Christian Bible, the New Testament, includes the Hebrew Bible. These are not books. They are books today, but they haven't always been books. They were words that were written on animal skins and then rewritten as the animal skin would would rot be rewritten on another animal skin and obviously written by men. The idea that in the 21st century we could talk about the infallible nature of the Pope and the irrefutable word of God written by human beings on these animal skins and then passed down through the ages, and we're going to believe that over science, indicates that there's something very irrational about the nature of fear and the nature of hatred. So I'm going to argue here today, as I have in the past, and I'm sure I will in the future, that a lot of what passes for left-wing, right-wing, conservative, liberal uh, dichotomies or polarities is really a lot of fear on the right and a lot of hope on the left. A lot of what passes for conservative philosophy is fear and ignorance. And there's a lot of hatred in that. Not all conservatives. There are legitimate conservative philosophies, like the government staying out of our lives, and fiscal responsibility, and and, and a, a number of other legitimate conservative principles I'm not going to go into now, as well as legitimate, valued liberal principles. And there should be a healthy tension in between. But laid on top of that, there is this overlay of the right wing being about fear and ignorance and hatred, and the left hating back because it's so contagious. And then rationalizing in our minds, well, I really am not a hateful person, but I do hate those people that hate. And when I see people promoting hatred, well, I just hate that. My question is, is that really any different? Is it really any better? Or is it just a rationalization for the fact that we get so frightened when confronting hatred that we hate back? I don't think most people, I don't think very many people at all, would try to argue, even though I suppose there's no way we could know for sure, I don't think very many people would argue that animals could experience hatred. It, It seems that we believe that this is a uniquely human emotion, and yet certainly animals know fear, and animals have the capacity to be violent, very violent. Um, I was watching a program about chimpanzees and just how incredibly dangerous chimpanzees can be, how extraordinarily violent they can be, and you know, not only when food or survival is involved, or protecting uh, the, the offspring, or or protecting your mate or anything like that, but just violence. For the sake of violence wars you know great ape wars chimpanzee wars um, it's it's pretty unique to human beings but we do see some of it in nature or again it's hard to get inside an animal's brain simply by watching their behavior and, and testing them to know but I don't think very many people would say animals experience hatred do they know fear well no question about that you can frighten an animal so if we look at human hatred as uh, uh, how shall I say a particularly refined form of fear then we have to consider this Her- Eric Hoffer quote about feeling toward others as we feel about ourselves and if we're promoting hatred Initiating hatred, as the right often does, race baiting, red baiting, using hatred as a weapon to divide and to conquer all right um, If we react to that with hatred, then what that reveals, does it not? Is the part of us that hates ourselves? Let me make this. Let me try to make this a little simple. Uh, make this case a little more simply. I'm arguing that as a face of fear, in order to hate, to initiate hate, as the right wing often does, because of its fear of progress, its fear of knowledge, its fear of science its fear of understanding and growing and its fear of being responsible okay then the 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 people that initiate the hatred in the first place must be coming from some form of self-loathing or self-hatred and my argument then is if in response those of us that are not inclined to initiate hate but we do respond to being hated with hatred, would that not reveal then in us some self-loathing, some hatred of ourselves, some bottom line, some ignorance or some confusion about who we really are and what we're for? You see, this is why I feel so strongly about the need for emotional intelligence. One of the projects I'm working on, that I've been working on since moving to Hawaii a year and a half ago, is emotional intelligence for children. You know, my partner Steve Snyder has always been interested in how to learn programs and accelerated learning programs. Uh, He developed the speed reading technique when he was a little boy, actually, when he was a teenager that he's taught all of his life and made a, a living. Steve's never had a job. He's, <laughs> he likes to say he's always taught this accelerated learning uh, material. Well, the part of that that intrigues me the most is teaching children about emotional intelligence. And I've, in my research and in my developmental work, I've come to the opinion that no age is too young to begin teaching emotional intelligence to children. The importance of emotional intelligence goes beyond learning to manage our hatred and manage our fear to understanding ourselves. One of the fundamentals in emotional intelligence work is the realization that your emotional feelings are the essence of subjectivity. They are extremely personal. That while you can learn to think like another person, you feel like yourself. Feeling like yourself, F-L-Y. I used to call it the FLY program. Feeling like yourself There's a whole program of hypnotherapy tools and techniques that I developed years ago that I still use in my private practice. I have a private telephone practice, of course. Not too many people in Hawaii here, so I do most of my work with people on the mainland by phone. And Many people seek counseling on specific items, but those who want the broad-based training, I give them my FLY program. That means feeling like yourself, and that's what your emotions are, you can think objectively, but your feelings are subjective, so when you hate, that reveals something about you, (coughs) more about you than the person that made you hate. We have a phrase, so-and-so made me angry. Okay. Or I remember, uh, and I've talked about this many times over the years, the fellow that called me on the radio once, years and years and years ago, and he said, Michael, people make me get into fights. What can I do? Why do how do they do that? How do they make me get into fights? Well, how can somebody make you angry? And how can somebody make you hate? Even if the only people you hate are hateful people. They've still conquered you, haven't they? If somebody can hate you enough that you hate them for hating you, then they've won. You see? that's why I believe the terrorists have already won because they terrified Bush and Cheney this is difficult for a lot of people to understand, they look at Bush, they look at Dick Cheney they don't see a frightened man but people who will use hate which is nothing more than a face of fear are frightened men, as Eric Hoffer said That's their fear projected out into the world. So we became terrorists and practiced torture. And you can see hate-filled, terrified people today attempting to justify torture because, well, it wasn't really that bad and we didn't do it to that many people And all this hogwash that you hear and read in the media, attempting to justify becoming as evil as the evil that we're trying to fight. And it's just insane. And yet, as you come to understand emotional intelligence, and as we begin to teach children how to be emotionally intelligent, They understand themselves, and we can begin to witness when fear and hatred comes up on our internal dashboard, and we can pull over to the side and breathe and relax, do some introspective meditative techniques, expand our consciousness, develop our awareness of things, and make better choices, and understand what to do. What, what higher brain functions to pull on like breathing and relaxing and forgiveness and compassion and I think that requires that we see that hateful people hate themselves and frightened people are frightened as a result of not knowing themselves And I know it's a challenge to think of Dick Cheney or George Bush or others that promoted torture as frightened people, but they are. And hateful people, those who initiate and promote hate, are frightened people, and they also hate themselves. Now... Again, these are not topics that you're going to hear commonly discussed. Rick Sanchez is not going to bring you this on CNN or Wolf Blitzer. Maybe Bill Moyers. God, he's done some really good stuff lately. But by and large, there's not too much stuff in the media. Even so-called progressive radio, left-wing radio, is full of hatred. They'll hate you right back and attempt to fight fire with fire. Wasn't it Dr. King that said hatred cannot conquer hatred and fear cannot conquer fear? Only love can do that. We cannot out hate the people that hate us because to pull on any form of hate is to hate yourself. Is to promote the fear that is born of ultimately not knowing what you're capable of, qualities of love and kindness and forgiveness and compassion that I think we can pull upon once we find that loose thread. It's like unraveling the Gordian knot. If we could just find that loose end, we could begin to unravel it and I think the loose end is that people that hate, hate themselves, and that's pathetic and worthy of sympathy, which is certainly an entree to compassion and forgiveness. You have to pity them. You have to have compassion for people that hate you. Lord knows this is not an easy thing to do. You know I'm struck also uh, I'll mention this it's almost uh, an aside well it is an aside Um, you know Rush Limbaugh has a webcam that's trained on him he's always wanted to be on TV but uh, he doesn't really have the look you know and uh, so the best he can do is a webcam he's got that on all the time so when Other commentators, whether it's Fox News or somebody on the left, run a soundbite of Rush. They'll often show the video that goes with it from the webcam. And I am struck in watching Rush as one of the primary purveyors of hate in American news media at the way he keeps pulling at his chest. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but I'd, I'd suggest you give it a look sometime. He when, Especially when he goes into one of these hateful rants, he grabs his shirt right over his heart and pulls on the shirt and then lets it go. And the more agitated he gets, the more hate, which I'm arguing is self-hate, really just another face of fear that has to be born of the fear of not understanding yourself, right? The more he does all of that, hate and fear, the more he pulls on his heart, the more he grabs his heart and tugs on it. Now you say, well, he's not grabbing his heart, he's pulling it on his shirt. I know, but, you know, basically like 101 go a little deeper look look at the symbolism here even if just an academic exercise why is he tugging on his heart I think because it hurts him to hurt other people and the pathetic sad nature of all of this is that he's destroying himself right He's very overweight, he cannot be healthy, he's been addicted to Oxycontin, he destroyed his hearing in both ears, he had to have ear implants so he could even hear himself. Again, think of the symbolism here. Like, he burned out his ears, and now he's tugging on his heart. He's destroying himself. That's the sad and pathetic part of Rush Limbaugh. So when he scares you, because he appeals to that 20% of Americans that are so volatile, so on the edge, so unsophisticated or poorly educated, <clears throat> that that they're inclined to to pick up the contagious nature of this hatred and pass it on, right? It's like feedback, sticking a microphone into a loudspeaker until the sound of air just shrieks, just becomes the scream. That's what's happening in America. It is a deliberate, focused attack against hope. If what Obama represented in the election last year represented, if it represented anything, it was hope. It wasn't a particular political agenda. It was hope in fairness, in honesty, in truth. It almost sounds corny, you know, truth, justice, and the American way. Well, the American way for a long time has not been about truth or justice. One could argue that it's never been about truth or justice. Right? Slavery, genocide against the American Indians. And I could go on and on. The list is long and embarrassing, right down to the current arguments about torture, not just waterboarding, but rape. When you when these photos are released, you're going to be horrified. You're going to understand why Barack Obama changed his mind. He saw the pictures. They're pictures of children being raped in front of their parents in some cases. It's unbelievable. And there were Lawyers in the White House that said it was okay, John Yu admitted before Congress that he approved the rape of children in front of their parents. As a means of saving American lives? No, as a means of getting phony false information to justify a war in Iraq that had nothing to do with 9-11 based on lies. That's the problem. That's where hatred and fear and ignorance can take us and that is frightening and so we have to I think as conscious people if you're listening to this program either live today what is it May 31st 2009 or from some point in the future as a replay if you're listening to the program you must be an an aspirant of some sort you must be a, a woman or a man a boy or a girl who wants to be better, who wants to know the truth of who they are and what they're capable of doing and having and being, and face that great unknown with hope rather than fear, with love rather than hatred. And yet, I think at some point, and I chose today, We've got to look at the contagious nature of hatred and fear and how easily somebody can hate you or frighten you and make you a frightened and hateful person no different than them. Not really. Maybe we could rationalize that our hatred and our fear is superior to their hatred and fear because it's only a response and it's limited to those who initiated the hatred and fear in the first place. But I find little solace or comfort in that. They still won. You know, that the, there are, outside of you, in the world, terrible people. The terrorists are out there. But the terror that is their weapon... Is evoked from within you. The terror is in you, and they bring it forward. And so rather than trying to control them, what if instead we learned self control so that we could, through our study, through our meditation, through our mindfulness and communication with other people, learn to know ourselves, to understand ourselves, and to manage ourselves so that we could be immune to fear and hatred. And only love can do that. And I don't mean emotional love. I'm certainly not talking about romance. That's why people have such a hard time with love your enemy. I'm not talking about emotional love. we're talking about love, the antidote to fear and hatred, is love as consciousness if If my argument today is that hatred is just another face for fear, then we also could take a look at how ignorance stands. In conjunction with fear, that, that ignorance has a primary relationship with fear. And so anytime somebody can frighten you, what they're bringing out is the part of you that doesn't know something. And what is it that we don't know that allows us to be so frightened? What stands at the core at the very center of our capacity to be frightened but not knowing who we are. And so when we talk about love as the antidote, it's love as understanding. That's that's capital L love. That's love as consciousness. Is love as awareness. A profound understanding, not just knowledge, but understand It's one thing to have knowledge, it's another thing to understand it. Anybody can memorize facts and regurgitate information. They have knowledge, but they haven't applied it in their lives. They don't have real coherent, cohesive understanding. So love your enemy means to understand your enemy by understanding yourself that's to love others as you love yourself you have to understand yourself before you can understand others you have to love yourself before you can love others you have to see the fear and the ignorance and the capacity for hatred in yourself I'm arguing before you can really as a spiritual warrior combat that hatred and that fear in the outer world in other people so it's not okay to hate even those who hate any more than there's some benefit in being frightened and ignorant because you've been confronted by a frightened ignorant person One of the great challenges here is going to the compassion and the forgiveness because it hurts so much to realize how much pain there is in the world. That this world, that somehow a guy like Rush Limbaugh, and it's not limited to Rush, there are others, he's just one of the best at it, could brag about his contract for $400 million, that people are willing to pay the man hundreds of millions of dollars to divide the country with hatred, to destroy the country with fear, and that there's great profit in that. And those that promote peace and love and understanding They don't get $400 million contracts, you see. There really isn't a market yet for peace and love and understanding. It's not a profitable enterprise, right? And to realize that and to accept that, to attain a level of understanding where you realize that the evil despots and tyrants of the world are ignorant and frightened little men. And then to look at the appeal that these leaders of hatred have in the general masses, even if only 15, 20 percent, maybe 30 percent. I saw Cheney's numbers when he started it apologizing, well, that's not the right word, defending torture. Cheney's numbers went from 19% to 37%. Over a third of Americans said, well, you know, if you're getting good information, if it really works, then a little torture here and there might not be a bad idea. Even though an America who tortures cannot be America, you've lost, the terrorists won, you became the enemy. And I think it's something a child could understand. But somehow adults become so frightened and so callous that they become susceptible to that knee-jerk reflex, that reaction, that herd instinct, that survival-based fire-flight lower brain function that says, if you're not with me, you must be against me. If you disagree with me in any way, to any degree, you oppose me, that frightens me, and now I'm going to get you. I'm going to kill you, or frighten you, or hate you even if it devours me, what good is that $40 million or rather $400 million going to do Rush Limbaugh? How's that going to make him happy? All the mansions, all the cars, all the drugs in the world, how could that make him happy if every day he has to go to work and think of new ways to spread hatred and fear? And ignorance. Again, that's what we're talking about. Hatred is born of fear, and fear is born of ignorance. And you cannot hate another, frighten another, or be ignorant of another without hating, fearing, or being ignorant about yourself. That's emotional intelligence. What? little children do know this. Kids on the playground learn to say, I know you are, what am I? Takes one to know one. Little kids seem to know this. Takes one to know one, how would you know? I know you are, what am I? It's like they hold the mirror up and say, Who are you talking to? And then we get older and we forget that we knew and justify our hate. As loving, kind, progressive, peaceful people who really want love and compassion, we rationalize our hate by saying, well, I only hate people that hate me. That's not good enough. Then some part of you still hate yourself. Well, I'm only frightened when people frighten me. That fear comes from not knowing yourself. Right? So let's go to the question page here, and let me see if uh, I can pull that up. There we go. And suggest that uh, those of you that are listening live on the web with us today, you have that little submission page on the front. This is what makes it interactive, and the reason we do it on the telephone we do it live. So you can listen on the web or by telephone. And if you're one who is listening on the web, You can use that little box in the bottom of the page to ask a question, to make a comment, uh, to just say hi. Put your name and the city where you are in the box, and be sure and hit the submit button. I hear from people all the time, they say, well, you didn't read my comment. Well, sometimes they get too many to read, but uh, lots lots of times it's because you don't hit the submit button, so... Put your uh, info in there, including your at least your first name in the city where you are, and then hit uh, the Submit button, and we'll be able to say hello to you and respond to your uh, to either your question or your comment. Then we'll do a uh, visualization process in a few minutes, a little guided imagery meditation, uh, so we can get centered and learn to use the power of love and compassion uh, to transcend all of this. And it's not an easy thing to do. Compassion is a painful, painful experience when you first move into it, but it lifts you out of the pain. You just have to experience the the anxieties and the fears, and the, it hurts to be compassionate, to feel the suffering of humanity. And if you can, if you can have compassion for the people that are trying to frighten you, and that hate you that hate people that you hate, uh, I'm sorry, that hate people that you love, <laughs> if you can feel compassion, uh, then that changes you. That improves you. You move up the ladder a bit. So let's see who's with us here. We have uh, Carol in La Habra, California. She says hello. Carol is always with us. I don't think she's missed a show yet. And she says uh, hello uh, to Doreen as well. And uh, Carol, thank you. As always, appreciate you being here. And uh, Robert in Irvine says, I hear what you're saying and I agree that we project onto others what we inflict on ourselves and therefore attract it into our lives, love or hate or fear. Robert goes on, he says, I think that hatred is not only taught and learned but is also an unnatural state of being. It runs against our inherent goodness. And then he asks, "Do you think deep down inside, we feel guilty or ashamed uh, when we act out of hate?" Yeah, I, I definitely do. I think that's one reason that Rush Limbaugh keeps talking about his $400 million dollar contract, besides the fact that he appears to be a narcissist uh, and compelled to see everything uh, about the separate as being about to separate itself. As aspirants, we're trying to see everything is about a higher self, a more unitive and harmonious self that cannot be alienated or separated. But to celebrate that separated self, as if I've got four hundred million dollars, I am the commander in chief. What does he call his outfit? Excellence in broadcasting, the EB Network. Excellence of talent on loan from God. I mean, this is this is <laughs> this is pretty outrageous, right? I think it is a reaction to self-loathing. That's why I think he keeps pulling on his heart. And I have great compassion for him. He 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 scares me, and at times I hate him. And that's why I'm doing the show because it requires me to breathe and relax and move beyond my fear and hatred. I refuse to stay there and I have found in my life and maybe it will help you guys too that the path that my, that, that my mind finds appealing toward this level of compassion for people that are so frightening right and so I haven't used the word yet but this is evil this is dedicated evil I'm being paid a lot of money To destroy a society. Obama hates white people. How much money do you have to be paid to betray humanity? And how profoundly must that hurt? And to have, if you can have compassion for Rush Limbaugh, if you can have compassion for Dick Cheney, If you can have compassion for any right-wing zealot that is terrified of the truth, frightened by science and all of its majesty, then you're doing pretty well. You're on the path, right? And you can lift them. This is redemption, is it not? To be able to lift your fear and your hatred to love via compassion uh, probably the highest frequency of love that a human being can imagine is to pity those who suffer especially when they seem to be out to get you and in fact they really are out to get you right? well we're represented in england today my friend uh, our friend ginger is uh, is with us from uh, southern England. So let's see. I think it's a little after ten o'clock at night there, about ten ten in the evening there. And she says, "I'm in agreement that compassion and the understanding of the of the nature of oppression." But I wonder how this can emerge when we are confronted with so many images which carry the energy of hatred and generate fear. It would seem that we need to monitor how much of this we watch and and see and think it's images of love more contagious or she's saying our images of love more contagious than hatred and fear that's a very very good question and then she goes on um, what are we to contemplate so I think images can help to uh, re I wonder what this word is here ginger is a typo it must be retransform hate into love what do you think well first of all i think there's merit in what you're saying about limiting our exposure to it voluntarily if we are attracted to it what is the nature of the attraction why do we feel compelled to keep watching you know um i can only speak for myself here and then presume that others are similar it reminds me of morbid curiosity why do people slow down at a car wreck you know um, because they want to know about the unknown they want to know about death Um, there is a secret in news that, that the real reason people even read the news is to find out that They're not one of those who are suffering, that by reading the news, there's a kind of bizarre, backward um, comfort in realizing that, oh, these people are victims of war, and these people are starving, and these people just got flooded out of their homes, and look at all these disasters, but I'm not one of them. Reassurance, that's the word I was looking for they get reassured, this is not commonly understood, but many people in journalism realize that people are not reading the news to be informed, they're reading the news to find out that the horrible things in the world are happening to other people, not me. Why do people read the obits? To make sure that their name is not in the obituary. (laughs) You know? So, I think there is some of that morbid curiosity in why Why would I watch Rush Limbaugh? Why am I compelled to keep exposing myself to the purveyors of hatred? Well, one of the reasons is that I'm a social commentator. You know, uh, 40 years on the radio, I guess I just, uh, journalism, I just sort of, uh, that's what I care about. And I want to understand it. But, if you're suggesting, Ginger, that that everybody, in, including me, take a look at what we can do by just refusing to participate, just look the other way, I think there's some merit in that. At the same time, somebody's got to watch, uh, somebody's got to know that this is out there so that we can recognize the repercussions in society, the way this, Last week or 10 days has started out as conservatives opposing a moderate judge by portraying her as liberal, and then it went to race hate and La Raza, and then Rush just pulling out the Ku Klux Klan cart, referring to it as racism, reverse racism, and Obama hates white people. You know, this is starting war. So if somebody's going to attempt to start a war, I think somebody's got to keep an eye on them. But we certainly could limit our exposure. I guess it's a. I guess I feel it's a double-edged sword. That's something that we can do. And then, um, what are we? Let's see. What are we contemplating? Uh, images that transform hate into love. What do you think? Well, yeah, that's, that's the guided imagery exercise that I want to do here. Um, again, I think understanding, the relationship of understanding to love is a dynamic that, is, that reflects the relationship of ignorance to fear. It's one thing to talk about lifting fear to love, but a lot of people think that's a shift you make only in your heart. And that's certainly a big part of it. I called it emotional intelligence earlier, an attitude, an intention, a refusal to respond in kind. But I think there's more to transforming fear into love, which is transforming ignorance into understanding and making it about the self, finding the part of us that is frightened, finding the part of us it still has the capacity to hate, even if only to hate those who hate, or to be frightened of those who seek to frighten us. Nevertheless, it reveals a part of us that needs this transformation, this redemption, this, this transmutation, or, or, or uplifting, this refinement. There's so many words for it. And to think of lifting fear to love is lifting ignorance. To understanding is a, is, is a way that works for me anyway, and in just a few minutes I'll, I'll demonstrate a way to do that. You know, with our guided imagery. exercise "Thanks, Ginger. Appreciate that." Um, just a little uh, down the street in Honolulu, Bert says, uh, "Hello, Aloha. How's it, Michael? Thank you very much for today's topic." Thank you, Bert. In Pittsburgh, John says, hello. He says, you have a wonderful talent to merge current events with the ageless wisdom that is educational, entertaining, enlightening, and empowering. Cool. All E-words. Excellent program. Another E-word. Thank you. Thank you, John. Appreciate that. And in Cerritos, uh, Kareem says, aloha, Michael. I think self-defense is self-love looks scary to hateful people and often gets mistaken for hateful and aggressive behavior by hateful people. I'm just pointing out that to say that Rush Limbaugh type people would say that peace-loving people are the hateful ones. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for the show, Kareem. Yeah, that always blows my mind, you know. But I look at the hate and... um, Let me say it this way. I look at the left. I've been to anti-war demonstrations, you know, and uh, I see it. I see hatred on the left. But I see it largely, and it's so ironic, isn't it, you know? um, Even in the early days, in the 60s, when I was working in the civil rights movement and the anti-war movement, Gosh, Anytime somebody showed up at a peace rally talking about revolution and buying guns and killing your parents, that's how we knew they were the cops, <laughs> the, the agent provocateurs, right, Tommy the Traveler, and those guys, because wait a minute, we are the left, we are the peaceful ones, right, uh, we are the hippy-dippy peace and love, so why would we be talking about a violent revolution, well, we're not, that's the cops that are infiltrating us and The provocateurs, Uh, today they call it false flag operations, right? Posing as the enemy, it's pretty clever. But um, also reminds me of the spy versus spy antics from Mad Magazine, the way opposites are not so different after all. One of the paradoxes of life that an opposite is really not that different uh, in the way they reflect uh, each other. So, yeah, I, I I certainly agree that most of what's most of what is born of hate is coming from the right, not the left. But my argument is merely the contagious nature of hatred and fear, and even if we respond with hatred and fear, that wouldn't be there if somebody wasn't hating us and trying to frighten us it's still not an excuse we've still got to identify it stop rationalizing it as saying well it's okay to hate people that hate you I didn't start this I'm on the left I'm really peace and love right or it's okay to be afraid of those who frighten us we should be afraid should we not they're out to get us They're trying to destroy our hopes and our dreams. They're dedicated to evil and bragging about how much money they make. This is Faustian. They have sold their souls. Should we not be afraid? No. No. I don't find anything in the holy books or the books of great inspiration about how sometimes it's okay (laughs) to be frightened. And sometimes it's okay to hate, even if your hatred and fear is limited to those who started it. It's not good enough. That's what Bush and Cheney did. They they fought terror by becoming terrorists. They fought hatred with hate and fear with fear. And look what it got us. It's all but destroyed the country. Out of that came this incredible wave of hope that swept. Barack Obama and a lot of other progressive women and men into office. It's certainly, more, I wish I wish the left would be better at being issue-oriented and not personality-oriented and make it about the hope rather than the person that is Barack. That's why we get disappointed. You'll always end up getting disappointed in the individual that's another thing I think the right wing has done is made these personality cults so you know the right wing is about Ronald Reagan and George Bush not about the issues right and so the left makes the same mistake if we're about Barack Obama it's not about Barack Obama some part of it can be it's quite a remarkable situation to see a black man in the White House built by slaves yeah but it's got to be about the hope. It's got to be about the dream, not the individual. Because Barack is human; he's going to screw up. He's going to make mistakes. Many would argue that he already has. So, let's see if we got anybody. Let me refresh the page here. We got a few more, and then we'll do our visualization exercise. Leanne is with us. Hello, Leanne. Nice to hear from you. In Thousand Oaks, California. She says, Hello, Michael. Good to hear you. All the best to you and lovely Doreen. I'll pass that on to Doreen, Leanne. She says, While I understand and agree with the higher thought uh, or the higher thought life that we are honoring here, I must agree with the fact that the contagious nature of the fear and ignorance can pull a well-balanced, loving human being out of character into those knee-jerk responses where we hear ourselves sinking to that level of saying things in rebuttal that serve no good purpose. And it's good to be reminded of the higher path that you represent. Thank you. We cannot afford to look the other way because the result of that thinking will infiltrate every aspect of your life of our lives thank you Leanne I think that's very well said and I think that's true so uh, let's uh, take a few minutes here and do a guided imagery exercise to see if we can create even more clarity and in a sense install this idea that um, even a little bit of hatred and a little bit of fear uh, even if limited to a response those that wield evil deliberately is a call for accessing higher brain functions. And we do that by closing our eyes. Do this now. Provided this is a good and appropriate time for you to take a breath and relax. Close your eyes. Sit balanced and centered and begin to create in your body a feeling of letting go the secret especially given today's topic one of the main secrets to meditation to contemplation is to feel very safe if we are to quiet the mind for the attention that it brings us. If we are to calm the emotional nature, the sensitivity that it brings us, we must convince the physical body that we're safe. Closing your eyes helps. A few slow, deep breaths is further assurance. And feeling in your body a letting go actually sensing from head to toe the feeling of muscles relaxing and unwinding. Stress and tension just falling away as if you drop your armor, drop your guard, and lower your defenses. So safe are you that you can easily imagine feeling that safe in your body. Imagine tiny little capillaries dilating as muscles around them relax. And as those capillaries dilate, warm blood, rich in oxygen and nutrients, moves more easily, more effectively, more efficiently through the body all the way to the extremities, the tips of your fingers and your toes are feeling warmer even now as you create and sense a feeling of deep relaxation so safe so peaceful so relaxed and visualize using your mind's eye to just imagine yourself in a beautiful garden or a paradise or any place, maybe you had a secret place that you went to when you were a little kid that no adults knew about and nobody could find you there and you felt so safe then go there and feel that safety in your body Feel yourself sitting upon the earth as if grounded or plugged in, as if rooted like a tree or a bush, like a flower or a single blade of grass. Imagine how it would feel to experience being rooted deep in the common ground of all life. Integrated and connected, plugged in. Grounded as an electrical being, an energy being, a spiritual being. Be connected or grounded to the earth. So that spiritual energy moves with less resistance as you become more grounded and relaxed. I want you to reflect upon the fact I say the fact that you know humanity is evolving it may be a problem for you to consider that human beings evolved from primates or some other animal But consider what you know of the nature of mutation. That bacteria evolves. That viruses evolve. They change. I mean, once you get a particular strain of so called flu, you'll never get it again, for your body has developed so-called antibodies, to fight that particular virus or bacteria. And so the only way to get sick is if you encounter a new strain, a different strain, a mutated strain of bacteria or virus. And that's evolution. That's natural selection. That's life in all forms seeking naturally a better way to ensure its survival in human beings further there is a longing within us an emotionally experienced yet mentally discernible urge to be more To reach for our source, to aspire to an understanding that unfolds of who we are and what we're capable of. That life, if it's anything, is growth and healing and improvement and refinement and salvation. And at oneness, atonement, at oneness. And so we come from laws of the jungle. We come from not so long ago, pre-civilized times, when we were surrounded by danger. And we came together in small groups two families, three families, four families coming together to provide not only for a common defense but for the other benefits of working together that so-called civilization provides. Human beings made a choice to go beyond the herd and the guttural instinct of herd mentality and groupthink to make a decision to bond together and to transcend little by little a more base concept than anything that's different or that you don't understand or that's new is a threat to you we made a conscious decision and then repeated it again and again and again down through the ages to face our fear and to seek understanding and common interest for the common good but we come from a very frightened place laws of the jungle survival of the fittest we just seem to remain confused about what that means to be fit is it the meanest or the nastiest is it the strongest the most violent that is the fittest hardly or the dinosaurs would still prevail survival of the fittest has to include kindness love understanding and compassion even or especially when it seems to run contrary to the laws of the jungle as if the new more refined path of the spiritual evolution somehow contradicts the evolution of species in the Darwinian sense. But, <clears throat> but there is no contradiction here. And so I, I would ask you to imagine that while there are laws of the jungle, there are higher laws. There are better, more refined laws that say we can manage the environment around us in such a way that our basic survival is not threatened. We can create enough safety and harmony and common interest around us then we can dedicate our awareness to a higher understanding of meaning and then purpose. What are we for? Why do we exist? Animals can't do this. They had to evolve. Humans at one point could not do this. We had to evolve. And there are those who would resist or oppose this evolution, who would attempt to drag us back to the more basic laws as if to pull us off the ladder and keep us down here in the muck and the mire because in their short-sightedness they see some advantage, some, some payoff, some Faustian bargain that would benefit them in the short term. It really is that simple. Do not the people that poison the world have children and grandchildren? And It makes you wonder, how could they be so ignorant? Don't they love their children and their grandchildren? Why would they continue to poison the world, contribute to global warming, and the potential collapse of the entire ecology, the destruction of rainforests? genetically modified food do they not have children and grandchildren do they not have a future well frankly some believe there is no future they have devoted and dedicated themselves to a superstitious belief in the divine annihilation of life that's imminent to their way of thinking so why not destroy the world soon it will be destroyed by the hand of God anyway some such superstition instead we have to resist not by opposing but resist by entering the higher laws and practicing in our lives the higher laws that trump the the lower, more basic laws born of separation. The higher laws are born of unity and harmony. They are laws of love and understanding, of forgiveness and compassion, of empathy and sympathy, kindness. And it's not easy. It's challenging, it appears, for the greatest women and men. This is our goal to be the best we can be, to aspire, to love not only those who love us, to love not only those who like us or those who live nearby or happen to be in some branch of our family or our community, but to learn to love people that you don't like, to love people who. Don't like you to love even your enemy. This is not an emotional feeling, this love your enemy. It's a decision that you make. It's not an emotion at all to love somebody who hates you, to love somebody who's trying to frighten you. To love evil is not an emotion. is a level of consciousness it is a degree of awareness to which we aspire again and again and again and again it's also a journey it's not a destination you're not going to get there in this lifetime it's not likely that even if you glimpse Christhood or your Buddha nature that you could hold that frequency for very long so cut yourself some slack and every time you find that you've fallen off the wagon so to speak and hatred found a little corner in your heart address it blame no one It represents some part of you that you do not understand wherever there is any kind of fear, whatever its nature, just a little bit, know that it represents something you don't understand about you. The only perspective you'll ever have in this life is yours. The only thing that you can ever really change about this world is you. Be the change. that's the revolution it's to be responsible for your own evolution and accelerate it see the people that hate you those that promote hatred those who are dedicated to evil as frightened people love them as you would love a child frightened after a nightmare You don't have to live their nightmare. Just know that it's a nightmare. Rush Limbaugh and Dick Cheney are having some very bad dreams. You don't have to be in their dream. And you don't have to let them into yours. So breathe and relax and dream better dreams. Dreams of beauty and goodness and truth. Just dream. Anytime you find any little modicum, any little corner of hatred or fear in your life, breathe and relax and dream of goodness and truth and beauty. Put your attention on what is real and what is true and what lasts, infinite and eternal. And then as we're about to do, you will open your eyes wide awake with a full memory and a profound understanding of the exercise. So breathe, inhale now. Take a nice big full breath. And as you exhale, ah, open your eyes wide awake, alert, rested, refreshed, back in the room, feeling fine. And I apologize for running so long. i got to get out of here. Thank you. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. Visit us at focuspassion.com. And aloha from Maui. This is Michael Better.